This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. What if I gave you $750? What would you do with that? And what if that $750 also may come with a multiplier that you can 2x, 5x, 10x, maybe even 100x that investment? What I'm looking for right now is I have a small spot of coaching spots available, and I'm looking to offer you a $750 free intro call with me. You got to be willing to invest in yourself, but in this call, it's a free coaching call, 30 minutes, and what you can do is dive deep. We can discuss about you and your business and what it is that you want to go to, the dream life you want to create, and, and the struggles and challenges that you're having, and then I can give you one or two tips that can help you move forward towards that, and also if I can help you, I'll share in ways I can do that also. If that's something that's interested in you and inspired you to want to do that, check out the show notes below or go visit callwithdrvic.com and set up an appointment today. Appreciate you. Now let's go ahead and let's get into the show. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Vic and you're listening to another episode here on The Mindful Experiment. As each week we interview someone to share their gifts, wisdom, and knowledge with all of us and to help us elevate our consciousness in this experiment we call life. This week I had such an honor and pleasure of interviewing Dr. Thomas Jordan. We discussed a ton of different things. We went into the divorce rate, um, the different divorce rate between uh, first marriage, second marriage, and third. We went into the whys of that's happening. We talked about um, what's happening in society today of how we're changing the way we handle our relationships, people maybe not getting married anymore, uh, how they view things and how we got to shift those perspectives, but also shift ourselves and also break become more aware of the conditioning we have in our mind of what, how we see relationships based on our family, what our family taught us, friends, and so much more. And this is something that's going to help us elevate our life because I know for myself, my life has become more richer and more fulfilling, not only by the work I do with the podcast and my businesses and so forth, but it has also been 
my relationships has been probably the biggest thing. My wife is the number one in my entire life. Like with her, without her, her opinion is the only opinion that matters. Uh, I can have a thousand people, 99% of the world. Cause if she says I'm good, 99% of the world could be against it or say negative things. But as long as I have her opinion, that's all that matters. That's how much that important the relationship is to me. But at the same token, I've also deepened my life with my friends and family members who are important to me, uh, who value me as an individual and I value them. And to deepen those relationships has really created a deepening in my life. So when I saw Dr. Thomas Jordan come through, I was like, this is a guy who I want to interview to help in this share with you guys this process. So let me tell you a little bit about him before we get into the amazing interview. Dr. Thomas Jordan is a clinical psychologist and psychoanalysis in the private practice in New York City. He is on the faculty of NYU's postdoctoral program in psychoanalysis, author of Learn to Love, Guide to Healing Your Disappointing Love Life, and founder of LoveLifeLearningCenter.com. Dr. Jordan specializes in treatment of unhealthy love lives and has been studying them for over 30 years. You'll love his energy. You'll love his explanations on things. And we really had a great time. I eventually, I'm going to have him back on because we just, there was so much we could have went deeper into, uh, but due to the time, uh, that's why we uh, don't have no problem bringing him back. So without any further ado, here is Dr. Thomas Jordan. Dr. Thomas, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for inviting me, Dr. Vic. I'm excited to have you on. I just love what you're up to. I love what you're doing. I think it's so vital in today's era. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to go into so many elements. We were already starting to gel before the podcast. And, and I was like, okay, hold on here. Let's, let's get this started. Um, before we get into all the good stuff there, um, which your stories is also good. What's your journey? What's the story that got you to where you are today and what you're doing? Well, uh, a few things. One of them, was I changed my own love life. Um, I was repeating a lot of disappointment in my love life. And uh, a therapist I was working with back in the 90s uh, pointed out that I was uh, using a lot of what I'd learned from my family of origin that was unhealthy over and over again in my love life. And uh, I made a few changes. Um, shortly after I made the changes, I fell in love, and I got married, and I've been married for 28 years. So I, uh, I wanted to distill what I had done and what I had learned. And I was working with a therapist who was kind of sensitive to love life issues as well, and how learning was involved in love life issues. So I wanted to distill that into a guidebook that people could read and begin the journey, as I had done. Um, especially the beginning, because I think the beginning is the most important step, the consciousness that things are repeating in one's love life that are unhealthy, and the importance of making a change. That was uh, the personal uh, part of the journey. I also, as a clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst here in New York, I've been in practice for about 34 years, and I've been seeing over and over again people repeating all kinds of unhealthy patterns in their love lives and how the connection to the family of origin is important, and how unconscious people are of that connection. And if you're not conscious of the connection, it's impossible to change it. You're bound to repeat over and over again uh, these things that can be unhealthy. And uh, I really, I, I met some people who had some very tragic love lives, repeated the same problem over and over and over again. And when you look into their family of origin and they describe the interpersonal setting and so on that they grew up with, you could see where this came about, how it initially started. Um, the third reason, I think, is uh, this divorce rate at 50%, which, by the way, raises to 60 on second marriages and a whopping 73 on third marriages has really been bugging me because I think it's a problem that needs to be solved. Um, and the 50% of, and it, it's chance, basically, 50% is chance. You know, the 50% of people that get divorced, I believe, and I have found in my work with patients over the years that they're not conscious of what they've learned about love relationships. Um, that part of their experience remains somewhere in the back room. So I think that if we could, move toward 
teaching people how to work on their love lives. By the way, we work on everything else, work on our educational lives, our physical lives, our medical lives, um, our financial lives. Uh, I think people need a little bit of encouragement about working on their love lives. I think maybe we could bring that percentage down. I agree with you 100%. My question is then, where do we begin? Is it, you know, is, I know for me, uh, when it came to relationships, I had, you know, I had issues showing up and whatnot, and I had to shape up the relationship with myself. Is mm -hmm. it ourself or is it an understanding where the conditioning came from, which was learning from, from, you know, at an early age, uh, from our, our parents or from other, you know, family members and friends and society and the, the cultural in all those other aspects, or is it a blend of the two or, I think a blend of the two. I think that uh, we have to realize that the family of origin is our first and most intensive classroom. Uh, we're very vulnerable. We, uh, we take in quite a bit through observational learning, through the relationships we have with people. Um, we're watching and learning throughout our youth, even into adolescence, as well as young adulthood. So we learn a bunch of stuff growing up. The problem is unconscious learning. We learn unconsciously. I mean, oftentimes people think of learning as a conscious process, and it certainly is. But it's also an unconscious process. And the unconscious learning that takes place is a little less well understood um, and can be extremely powerful. I mean, just look at the way these patterns repeat over a lifetime. I mean, I've sat with people, patients who have told me about, um, like, for example, <clears throat> Uh, someone I think of quite often when I'm describing on podcasts, you know, what can go on. I met with a, a woman many years ago, about in her early 50s, who in an initial interview telling me about the family she grew up in, alcoholic father, uh, beat the mother in front of the children. Uh, so she grew up, left the family, married two men who are alcoholic and abusive physically. And she was working on a third and I was seeing her for a depression she was complaining about. So when we did the family history, I said to her, do you see the relationship between the family you grew up with and your marriages? And this is an intelligent, educated woman, Dr. Vic. And she looked at me with a puzzled face like what? And I knew at that moment that there was no connection. There was absolute disconnect between what she grew up in and what she had learned in that context and how it functioned as a template or blueprint. Now, you raised the question of learning beyond the family, and I think that's possible as well. I think the community we grow up in, the culture we're, we're brought up in, these other areas do teach us, add to. But I, I'm very, very focused on the family of origin. And in the book that I wrote, Learn to Love, Guide to Healing Your Disappointing Love Life, I talk about what I call the psychological love life, which kind of specifies my particular perspective. I'm coming at real permanent changes in your love life from the inside out. And you put your finger on that when you said changes in the self. I think real change in our love lives come from the inside out. Challenging, identifying first what we've learned about love relationships, challenging those patterns once we have that consciousness, that mindfulness, that understanding of how important the, the, the replicating, the repeating pattern is, and then being able to move our love life once it's disrupted, the old automatic pattern, move it in a new direction that can be very corrective and healing of our love life experiences. So that's what I'm interested in. I love that. And I think that's where it comes, you know, the, the change comes from because like you're sharing with the subconscious mind, it's something that um, there's, there's so much that's it's un, not conscious of or aware of that we have built in at such an early age. And I, I agree with you too. I think, I think a major imprint is family. A lot of my, uh, I'm a certified pediatric chiro. And so a lot of my research was that I learned and was trained in is like, you know, how the brain develops as an early age from a neural perspective from movements and all this other stuff. But one of the fascinating things I learned was about the imprints of in the womb and how it messes or how it can influence 
Uh, uh -huh. It influences the baby's uh, personality. And there's a uh -huh. lot of things that happen just from that moment on yeah. um, as it's learning about its environment already. Absolutely. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, it's, <laughs> That's it's, great. That's scary great. <laughs> that is amazing. Like I said, because you know, here's the thing. At the, at the time of this recording, I am, my wife's 36 weeks pregnant, going to have our first child. Oh, um, congratulations. Thank you. And 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 I, I knowing this stuff, I have been working on myself as much as I, of course, I've been working on myself as much as I can, but we, in the process of when she got pregnant till now, we've moved out of state. We let go of a business we had for 12 years um, and we, you know, reinvented ourselves and moved, you know, all this stuff. And I'm sitting there looking mm -hmm. at my wife going, I hope we were both level headed as much as we could and kept our emotions intact as best as we could um, during this process with our little one here. Cause you know, we've imprinted in some things, but wow. yeah. Mm -hmm. So but I, but, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I, you know, I was going to say, I, I want to, I want to um, recommend something to you. I, I think that, what, what goes on in the first years of life and what comes out of us unconsciously, when you're in a love relationship with someone and you're communicating and you're conscious and you're working together uh, in a partnership to, to make sure that what occurs in the family, for example, with a young child is healthy, one of your greatest assets is a conscious, open dialogue with the person you love. Because the unconscious can sometimes show up without awareness. Obviously, it's unconscious. You know, your, your wife might see it before you do. You might see it before she does. I know this from personal experience. My, my wife is a, also an analyst psychotherapist. She and I work together. We're in group practice together in Manhattan. And um, when we first got married, um, we, we had a dialogue about, you know, how the old world would show up, you know, my old world, her old world. I knew about her parents. She knew about my parents. I knew about certain things she had experienced in her life and certain stuff I had experienced she knew about. So I remember those early conversations as my son. I have a son, one son, who's now 23. Um, and when he showed up, I mean, that's a heavy duty experience in life, you know, when you you're inviting a new life into your lives together as a family and just the emotions and the issues that show up and, you know, the old transferences, you know, stuff that shows up from my history that now shows up in my relationship with my family and how you want to make sure it's healthy. And all of that becomes an area of dialogue and mutual conversation. And I think that's a great asset when you're married and in love. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, one thing my mom had it right early on then when she used to tell me, you know, in relationships, you just got to make sure you communicate. Yeah. Just, just communicate and make sure you always, uh -huh. always communicate. And I didn't, I, it took me a while to understand the power of that until later on. Uh, and my even wife when was, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I think uh, that was more it. It was more uh -huh. that the uncomfortable, like you brought up, I appreciate you saying that. Uh -huh. Um, and now I'm at a place like with my marriage and my, and everything where it's just, you know, we, we, we just, we, we have, I don't know, it's just open door. Like there's not, there's no like, Oh, here we go. We have to have this hard conversation. It's just like, no, let's have this conversation so uh -huh. that we can get past this point and Absolutely. figure things out and move forward. Mm -hmm. I have one, I have a personal question for you. I'm very curious. Since, yes. your wife, since your wife and you are both in the same field, how is, the, is there like rules? You can't work on each other. You can't call each other out on what you're doing. I mean, is there like a rule to that? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the inside story. Um, <laughs> working, working with other shrinks. Okay. is not easy because uh, it's not like, you know, if you're a therapist and you come into treatment, uh, you'll be open-minded and, it'll be easy for you, easier than other patients. That's never the case. Sometimes other therapists are more defensive. Um, they don't want to give up their perspective and are more resistant to a new perspective. So what I'm trying to say is that book learning and professional persona are really not much help when you get down to the nitty gritty 
of an emotional life. When you fall in love with somebody and vice versa, you're vulnerable. And that word is a scary, exciting, wonderful word. <laughs> if you're in love, you got to be vulnerable. You got to be open. You got to be vulnerable. And that permits love to grow. That permits love to get past the inevitable problems that come up, the hurts, the misunderstandings, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, our you know, training doesn't really help much. Uh, <laughs> it's not like I can you know, stay in the Dr. Jordan persona and marriage is peachy cream and wonderful. Um, it doesn't work that way, at least not in my experience. No, I, I can 100% agree with you because, uh, you know, being my background, I mean, I'm not a, anywhere near, uh, I don't have any formal training in psychology and stuff like that, but a lot of the mindset work from, you know, that I've done in, in my my background, um, I understand the mind and, and how patterns, I could, you know, recognizing patterns and all these kind of things. And it's, uh, I had to, you know, my wife and I, she worked in, she works, she was working in the office with me for the last uh, six, seven years, no, seven, eight years. Wow. Uh, uh -huh. Six, seven years. And it was one of those things where um, it's funny because people are like, oh, it's great. You guys look like you have a great relationship. Probably don't argue. You guys look like you get along with each other very well. And I'd be like, yeah, no, there's, there's, there's dynamics we have to learn. And uh, I always use a joke with sometimes with my patients, I go, having my wife work in the office with me actually improved our communication and our relationship because we, we were forced, <laughs> we were forced to, Yeah, right. you couldn't be mad and walk away. Right. Like we right. need to address this now. We can't, this is, this is a time matter. We got to get this old. We got to put our feelings to the side and just figure out how we're going to get through that, figure out what we have to take care of or what's showing up for the day. Right. And uh, it was very right. interesting, but. And sometimes, sometimes the work is, putting those feelings into words. So they're not just feelings, they're worded feelings, they're verbalized feelings, they're feelings that allow a communication to occur. Like uh, when a couple sits down and instead of being angry at each other, instead of fighting with each other, they do the more vulnerable thing of saying, look, I need to talk to you, you hurt my feelings. Now, it's not easy to say hurt my feelings sometimes. I've certainly met a lot of people that prefer to fight rather than say you hurt my feelings, but hurt you can heal. Anger, that's a lot harder to heal. Rage, impossible. But hurt, sadness, the more vulnerable emotions that a couple in love can share and resolve, that's stuff that can be healed and that permits love to grow and change. You know, in my book, uh, Dr. Vic, I, I mentioned in the preface that this is not a book about love. This is a book about love relationships. Love, love is a, a wonderful process. I, I don't think we're in control of it. You can't make yourself love somebody. You can't make yourself not love somebody. I mean, you can try to mess with it, interfere with it, not let yourself have it in your life. You can do stuff like that, but it's in there. Once it's in there, it's in there. And how it comes about biological, psychological, spiritual, who knows, probably a combo of all of it, all of it. So love is love. Love is a wonderful mystery. We're not in control of it. I hope it stays that way. But the relationships we form when we fall in love, that we can do something about. And that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in the relationships we form when we fall in love. I've seen so many examples of people falling in love and forming an unhealthy relationship that doesn't promote the love, heal the love, grow the love. I listed in my book, I added two since I've written the book, but I listed a list of what I call unhealthy relationship experiences that can be replicated. And that's an important word replicated in the adult love life. Um, for example, abandonment experienced younger at a younger age can be replicated. For example, I've treated a bunch of people who experienced a parental abandonment when they were young, and they found repeatedly people who are emotionally unavailable. Now, wait a minute. How does that work? Well, I think it works because there's unconscious learning that came as a consequence of that abandonment experience. That's not conscious. So here, here's a dirty word for you that I love. What's familiar 
And the root word of familiar is, you guessed it, family. Family Ilya gets replicated over and over and over again, unless a person becomes conscious to interrupt that process. Other experiences like abuse, neglect, uh, dishonesty, self-centeredness, dependency, intrusiveness, these experiences can occur earlier in life, teach something unhealthy about love relationships, and then be replicated over and over again. You know, when people ask me, how do you define love life? I define love life as occurring from the moment you're born. Now, listening to what you said earlier, I should amend that. It occurs at the moment of conception. All right, Dr. Vic, that's your contribution. <laughs> I love it. You got it, man. Um, so so, uh, it, it, so I would, I would say... It's, it's any and all relationships involving the emotion of love be, at the beginning until the end of your life. That's your love life. Not just romance. It's any relationship. Mother, father, sister, brother, uncle, aunt, uh, friendships even. People who you've loved and can teach you something. Not like you're sitting in a classroom with a blackboard necessarily, even though I believe that some instruction takes place. I can remember my father telling my brothers and I that we should marry a, ma a woman like your mother. <laughs> While my father's making waffles back in the 60s, you know, on a Sunday morning, giving a little philosophical, uh, little, little philosophical advice to his three sons, you know, uh, mom serving the, 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 the waffles, you know. You know, I hope you guys find a good woman like your mother. And she's all smiles. And my father said that. I mean, that's training, you know. It's like, okay, this is the model. This I is the model. This. And that's that's important stuff. Gets in the brain, you know. It does. I mean, even that that young age again, going back to this, it's 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 that's it all it's just uh what we see and like you know, I always say you're you're and I could be wrong on this, but it's the mo you know, looking at you, you know, me being a biological male, uh, my mother showed me the, 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 she was the first relationship I had with, uh, with someone, uh, of an opposite sex. My dad was the male. And uh -huh. so my, my, that primed myself to have relationships. And it's funny because I look back at my life, my dad, he, you know, we come from a blue collar family. He worked a lot. He worked all the time. I, I, I rarely saw him half the time. And, um, <clears throat> and he came from a family where, it's just I got to go and support his way of uh, of supporting the family and showing his love is from financial support and security. Uh -huh. And it didn't matter about anything else. Yep. That was it. And when I look at my life, when I look back and I was like, why do I have I, it's so easy for me to have relationships with women as friends or whatever. And for males, I, I had difficulty with that. And it was like I just couldn't really connect or I couldn't really this until in my early 20s. I started looking back. I started looking in this kind of work. And I was like, I wonder if that played a role in uh -huh. my the framework of my relationships. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I grew up in a uh, <clears throat> in a family where my mother's parents lived upstairs in the tenement above us. My uh, father worked for my grandfather and grandmother. They owned a, a, a ethnic market. My, my father was a butcher. Grandfather ran it. Um, and my mother never left home. You know, she, she went from upstairs to downstairs and had four sons. I'm the third and four. And she was very dependent on her parents and she was controlling, wanted that dependency on her kids in particular. And she was kind of self-centered as well, you know, focused on her own pains, her own difficulties not being able to separate and have her own individual life, I think, was a consistent pain for my mother. And and I, I guess you've guessed who was her confident when confidant when when uh, when he was growing up. I'm raising my right hand right now. Um, <laughs> so I was the one my mother would share all these uh, these feelings with. So when I left home, uh, you can guess what kind of woman I went looking for a dependent, controlling, self-centered woman. That was my model. That was my template. And here's the scary part. 
If I met an independent, not controlling, and intimate as opposite of self-centered woman, I imagine she was dependent, controlling, and self-centered. That's how strong the template was in my brain, as I discovered. And that's scary, you know? It's like a refusal of reality in some way, you know? Uh, you want to see what you expect to find. And that can alter perception and alter experience. And that's a, a great area for contemplation, you know? And that's the root of why I talk about the psychological love life. Um, the good news in all of this is that I, I came up with an unlearning method, um, a method I talk about in the book, a three-step method that allows people, it guides people in the journey of becoming aware. Step one is becoming aware of what's replicating, what's repeating, what's being recreated in one's love life. That's step one, to, to achieve that consciousness. Step two is to challenge it. And, and the wonderful thing about we human beings is that uh, in the process of change, uh, psychological change, there's always a stage of therapeutic conflict, if you will. That's what I talk about. You know, you've got the old habit, you've got the old thing you're attached to, but you got these new ideas in your mind about what's healthier and what's better for you. So you got a little bit of conflict. Party is attached to the old, wants to replicate that. Party wants to make a change. So, you know, it, that, that period of conflict is uh, an important stage. It's a, it's a point where a person can challenge, disrupt the old way, strengthen the ability to identify it as unhealthy and get in its way, not let it operate. For example, patients have come to me that were working in that stage two, saying to me, you know, I, Dr. Jordan, I, I went out with a, a man uh, a couple of days ago, and I think he's like the other people that I've, uh, I've had in my love life. And I was very attracted to him, but I don't think he's a committed guy. I, I have a sense that he'll He'll do to me what these other men have done. So she's in the stage of taking a look at this old pattern she's identified and trying to interfere with it so it doesn't replicate continuously in her love life. And then stage three, I think of as a corrective stage. You know, we can correct the direction of our love lives by identifying, challenging, and now moving the love life in a new direction. And I like the word opposite. Opposite means something that is in another direction. So if you discover, for example, that abuse was part of the training that you received growing up, psychological abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, and you become aware of the importance, how unhealthy it is, and the importance of respect, which is the opposite of abuse, and respect, mutual respect. And you really look for that. You study that word. You study it. You, you, you look at how it would be manifested in a date, for example, or in a relationship with another person. What does it feel like? What do I expect to find when I'm being respected? What don't I want to see? What kind of disrespect? So you, you're studying the opposite of what you've learned earlier in life. And that in stage three becomes a new direction that you can practice and move your love life. And that to me is the correction of stage three. So those three stages I call the unlearning method to help people make some permanent changes in their love lives. I love it. Very simple, straightforward. And I, I it definitely creates awareness, which I think is always a key. And Absolutely. it allows to then create an action step to move forward in that process to create that change. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, the motivation to make these kind of changes, I think, is high because love is a very powerful motivator. I, I like to throw out the phrase, work on your love life, because I think that's the call to action on this kind of thing, is for people to work on their love life. You know, I don't know if you ever heard of this guy, but uh, Leo Buscaglia uh, <clears throat> wrote a few books on love. Um, he was a... Uh, an emotional man who had a sensitivity for relationships and such, doctor of education. I think it was the University of South Calif uh, Southern California. 
And uh, back in the 70s, 1972, you know, one of his female students committed suicide. I believe it was over a love life problem. And he was so moved by this, so moved by this. And he went to the administration of the university and said, look, I got to teach a love class. My students don't understand love. It's a it's a very powerful motivator, and 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 I'm afraid more of this will happen. So, I, and they started laughing at him. Leo, don't you have something better to do with your time? Blah blah blah. And he persisted and persisted to the point where they said, "Okay, Leo, you can have a room, no credit." So Leo taught a love class in 1972. He taught it for four years, standing room only. 100 students enrolled every single year. Wow. What does that tell you? Is there still a love class at the University of Southern California? I don't think so, Dr. Vic. (laughs) (laughs) I really don't. I really don't. (laughs) Leo's gone, but his spirit is still out there. (laughs) Yep. That's amazing. That is... uh... Yeah, I've, I've read, I think I've read one of his books uh-huh. um, years ago, but uh, amazing work, though. Amazing work. Oh, yeah. You know, I uh, he he was a lover, this guy. You know, I, I read something about him. He would give a talk, right? And, and I guess this wasn't his heyday. Maybe it was, I don't know when it was during his career, but he'd give a talk. He'd talk about love. He was talking about love and learning. He, un- he understood and appreciated that connection. And, and then at the end of the talk, people would line up to give him a hug. <laughs> and he'd have a line coming from the audience all the way around of people just coming, thanking him for the talk and giving him a hug. Come on. Huh? He was, he was touching people. He was touching was, their hearts. Yeah, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh. So you, I, I know, I know the divorce rate is something that you know we, we discussed a little bit. You, you're sharing percentages and stuff, and, I, and I'm assuming we already have um, answered probably this question already. But I just want to make sure. I just want to bring this back up, and that is, you know, with the divorce, you know, some people say the divorce rate's actually. Before I get into the other parts, uh, some people are saying the divorce rate's actually going down. I don't believe that. That's what? not not what the statistics say. <clears throat> I, I'm with you on it. I had someone tell me that they brought that up, and then I just said, "Well, please share a little bit of how that's going down." And they said, uh, "Millennials aren't getting married." And I was like, oh, "Well, that's oh, that, not. Oh, no, no, that's not bringing the divorce rate. That's another problem. Uh, I don't think that's bringing down the divorce rate. That's another problem. I think people are losing faith in marriage, and I think that might be a consequence of the divorce rate." If you, if you have this, you know, and this is the way I think of it. If you have this divorce rate, this 50, 60, 73% divorce rate, and it's not going down, and it's been plaguing the institution of marriage for many, many years, um, and that doesn't even account for the breakup rate. I'm talking about people that don't get married, but still have these patterns you and I are talking about. So I'm assuming that the breakup rate might be higher than 50%. I'm talking about a phenomenon where people fall in real love, but can't create relationships that sustain and promote it. That's the problem. If you look at marriage as a legal institution, okay, people can get married and not get married. People can get married, stay together for 50 years. They're in love. They set up a relationship with each other. Uh, so the problem, I think, is how healthy the relationship is that you set up. So to get back to what you're saying, I, I think that, you know, people losing faith in marriage, I believe, is a consequence of that divorce rate. It's the reason it's, it's, it's a consequence of it. People losing faith. It's, uh, it's not worth it. It's not something that can, can happen. I, I, I can be successful. It's not going to last. And I know there's also a movement out there, polyamorous, you know, non-monogamous relationships, like, you know, trying to find a healthy way to have a polyamorous lifestyle. And, you know, I mean, my personal bias is that that's going to be, is going to be limited depth. Um, I, I believe and I experience that when you love one person as an exclusive love relationship, 
you have an opportunity to solve problems and achieve a depth of relatedness to that one person that is amazing. It's uh, wonderful. It's, uh, it's an experience like no other, um, a life partner, a soul mate. Um, and, and the real tragedy is I think people fall in love all the time. I think we're born with that capacity, but the relationships we set up are tainted, tainted by what we've talked about today. So to me, the solution is not to come up with superficial lifestyle, superficial love relationships. The solution is to try to find out how to help people learn healthier patterns, how to become aware of what they've learned that can cause them grief in their love life repeatedly. Um, look, let's uh, just for an example, look briefly at 73%. You know, you've been married twice, you're married three times. And you divorce again the third time. 73% of third marriages divorce. What does that mean? That means to me, you're making the same mistake over and over again. Exactly. That's what that means. So, I mean, you can say, you know, the hell with marriage. Okay. And I found out, you know, I got a blog, the lovelifelearningcenter.com. I put this blog up in 12, 2012. I wanted it to be a library online real articles about love life issues. You know, should I take my divorced husband to court for childcare? Or how do I, I got, and I wrote this post, right? Some of them get a lot of commentary. Some don't, uh, several, a lot of commentary. One that got an extreme number of, uh, of comments is how to live without love in your life. I wrote a post with that title. Oh my God. It was like a tsunami of commentary. I read them all. People, I even corrected the post twice. I, I updated it based on what people told me, helped me understand how I could make it better. But I believe the reason I got that reaction is because there are a lot of people resigned to living without love. And I, in my book, I talk about resignation, you know, multiple disappointments. For some people, it might be two. For others, it might be 10, you know. I, there's a point where if you're making the same mistake over and over again, every time you fall in love with somebody, you're going to say the hell with love. It's too painful. It's too hurtful. Let me do something else. Let me live without love. But I don't think based on what I've learned at my blog and my website, that that's an easy lifestyle. I think there's pain involved in that. I think resignation is resignation. You're, you're, you're living without love because it's too painful to continue looking for it. Now, I, I have a feeling for people who are uh, in resignation. I have patients in my practice who are in resignation, who are trying to come out of resignation, trying to say, okay, this doctor's telling me that if I correct something in what I've learned about love, relationships, that I have a better chance at not replicating the painful disappointments I've had in my love life. And that's the hope. Okay, so if I become aware of what I've been replicating and I try to identify it early and I try to find the opposite and, and, and move in that direction, I have a greater probability of having a healthy love relationship. That's the hope. That's the hope. And I think that's the direction we need to go in vis-a-vis -vis the... Uh, the divorce rate, not to towards superficial relationships and a resignation, a love life resignation, but more hope. Let's change what we've learned. Let's identify what's unhealthy, make some changes inside of ourselves that increase the probability of a healthier love relationship going forward. I love it. I couldn't agree with you more on it. I mean, I could take that to a health context and, and share it the same way where, mm. you know, when it comes to health versus, and this is not bashing the medical system whatsoever, it exists for a reason, but you can have pain or you can have a condition and take this medication, it's going to, you know, do this, but really the medication just masses symptoms. Uh -huh. And then it's like, well, you can get to the root of the problem, but it's going to take work. Yeah, uh, you can, right. <laughs> you can enjoy the convenience of comfort. And you can go that route. Or like in just like in the relationship, or you can face that fear, get to the other side, because the other side of fear is always freedom. 
Uh-huh. The other side of fear is yeah. always going to be what you all, it's your wildest dream that exists. And I agree. Like, well, I think we live in a culture in, again, uh, coming from the health side of things, I look at, you know, we're always in this again, this is not bashing. It's just two different ways of looking at things. And it's like the medical system will look at things and say, well, how do we modify the environment to suit the individual? And from the holistic perspective, we say, forget that you can't control the environment. But uh-huh. you can control the individual and yeah. how about we work with the individual. Definitely. That's right. To that's do that, right. right? Yeah, absolutely. And 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 that's why introducing the psychological love life to people, you know, and, and you know, I, I also talk about this in the book. You know, people, people, if you when you when you look at people's psychological love lives, it's like looking at, you know, something, a little blueprint that exists in their brain, if you will, you know, you, there's a little something in the back part of the brain, you know, uh, people have already tried to, to, to fix their, their love lives when their love lives are disappointing. The two ways that I found that people ordinarily do this is defensiveness. You know, that's one way, you know, people get defensive. If you're being disappointed in multiple occasions, you're going to get defensive. Defensiveness can show up by avoiding love relationships entirely, or you can try to be in them and be distant. People try that, you know, in the, in the relationship, but distant, or people can uh, generate conflict all the time, which permits a certain amount of vulnerability to be cut in half. You know, it's like constant conflict and these different ways of defending oneself never work to any, I mean, they just limit the ability to give love and receive love. So, so that's, that's not doing anything. Another way that people try to fix their love life, uh, you know, they fall into it is trying to change partners. You know, it's like, um, I'll make him love me. I'll turn him into a better man or better. I'll turn her into a better woman. I have never found a successful case of one person changing another. I want to go on record. Um, People change themselves, not because someone else wants them to. It's because they want to. And then, of course, something similar is a love life where you're substituting one partner after another. And some people cope, try to improve their love life in that way. So these these are what I term, what I call after effects. They're ways in which people try to cope with the fact that their love life is disappointed. So, but it's the, the point we're making is that the real change in one's love life, the real change in one's health is an inside out process. It's a, a process of going inside oneself and doing what you call. And I agree with, I love the word work. It's a, it's work. It's work to change oneself. We work on our financial lives. We work on our physical lives. Most of us, we work on educational lives. Love life is something we have to work on as well. And the work produces a greater probability of a healthy love relationship. And that's the reward. I love that. I couldn't agree with you more. Dr. Thomas, this has been a blast to have you on and just, I can talk to you all day on this stuff. Thank Um, you. Thank you, Dr. Vic, for inviting me. Thank you very much. No, it's my pleasure. Before we we end this, how can people, where can they find your book and how they can connect with you, your blog and all that good stuff? Yeah. My, uh, my website is called the love life learning center.com love life learning center.com. Uh, I have blog posts, a lot of about 300 some odd blog posts on that, as well as uh, uh, how to get to my my book. My, my book's on Amazon. You can purchase it through Amazon and other book distributors. Also on my website, uh, my wife and I offer what we call love life consultations. Anybody who reads the book and would like a little support to get through the stages of the unlearning method, uh, we offer uh, telehealth. Uh, support for that. And so that's an option as well. Um, But all that information is on my uh, website. I love it. Appreciate you taking your time to come on here, be with us at the mindful experiment here with all our people, listeners and so forth. And uh, I just love what you do. I appreciate what you're doing. Um, My relationship has been 
It is my everything since I put in all the work. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. There's so much that I still have to get improve on. Never stop. Never stop. <laughs> that's the thing I was going to say. Like, there's always an endless process. And, I, and, I, and it yep. took me such a, I used to have a belief where once you get to a certain point in life with different aspects of life, that you don't have to do anything anymore. Oh, no. No, <laughs> no. no. I, 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 I don't stop learning. That's that. Oh, boy. That's very important. Now in my life, I look at things where it's like, it's just, it's more, you know, what happens too when you do that and you just say, well, it's never going to end. So might as well just enjoy the journey. And I actually, it, it allows me uh-huh. to be more present and just be like, here's where I'm at now. Here's yeah. what I'm working on now. Right. And, and, and your, your podcast is a way of also lending your learning outward. So you, you, you bring it in and you bring it out. And that's a wonderful thing. As we age, our job is to teach others as well as continue learning ourselves. That is probably one of the things I look forward to in my aging process. <laughs> <laughs> wisdom, wisdom. <laughs> yes, right. You hope, right? You I hope, hope right, after a certain right. time you get some. Well, well you know, you know, I, I turned 69 years old in April, and uh, uh, I, I heard somewhere someone talked about aging recently, and this is how they put it. They put how they relate to their own aging. They said, aging is something I've earned and I wear it proudly. I like that. Yeah. It has you, you know, it has you look at things from a different perspective because for some reason, and I, I, we can go out on a whole nother rabbit hole here, but for some reason in, 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 in America, America, I would say, but it's probably other countries too, but America, we don't, we don't look forward to the aging process. Like we yeah. want to stop that. Uh, but That's a problem. Yeah. And I think we need to look at, there's actually a beautiful gift into the aging process. And I think once we, we can shift that perspective to look for it and see it, then all of a sudden you can find more joy as you get older. Oh yeah. And that's the key to graceful aging is to appreciate it as a stage in life that has its own inherent gifts its own inherent journeys and challenges, just like any other. You know, youth-centric thinking is good in its own sense. Youth is an important time of life, but it's not the only phase of life that has its qualities to enjoy. Amen to that. Amen. Well, I appreciate you, Doc. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. uh, Vic. Be well. You too, my friend. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. Until next time, keep rocking and rolling.